Our first reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of you, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, gospel reading is from uh, John chapter 6, starting at verse 24. Once a crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from, it is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We're looking at Ephesians 4 together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf. We thank you for his death and resurrection. We thank you for the great unity he has won for uh, his people. And we pray this morning you'd help us to understand what it means to live in light of the work of Christ, that we may be a unified people who bring glory to your name. Amen. One of my most vivid memories from school was uh, when I was involved with the RAF cadets, uh, and I was told that I would be able to fly in a small training aircraft, and I was very excited. I can remember bragging to my friends that I would be flying in an RAF fighter plane. Uh, in fact, I wasn't. It was a small propeller plane um, with very small wings and a very small cockpit with a lawnmower engine on the front. Um, it sounded great in theory. I was very excited about flying in a plane. I couldn't wait to fly. But I can remember that feeling now, even standing here, as I walked out onto the tarmac and I saw this tiny little plane um, built, I think, 50 years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? Do I want to go up uh, 3,000 feet into the air in this tiny little lump of steel and glass? You see, on one hand, I, I trusted the designers who designed the plane, and I, I trusted the, the people who built the plane, and, and I trusted the people who maintained the plane. All, all of that in my head sounded logical and fair enough, but, but when it came to the actual action of stepping onto the plane, I found that I, that's when I was tested. Did I really trust the people who had designed the plane? Did I trust that it would be safe? I did trust it, and it was safe, and... It all worked out well, but I think a similar feeling uh, is here for us in Ephesians 4. If you know the book at all, we're kind of diving in partway through, but the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been outlining God's grand design for his people. If you like, God is the, the master designer, and he has brought together a people uh, who were once dead, who have been made alive in Christ, and he has done a truly remarkable work to bring his church together. But now, from chapter 4 onwards, Paul turns his attention uh, not to what Christ has done, but now to how his people should live in light of what Christ has done. And we can see that in verse uh, 4, verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, all that Paul has talked about in the first three chapters, that calling that God's people has, have received... Now, Paul says, live a life that is worthy of that calling. And if you like, we have a, that same decision to make as I had on the tarmac at Edinburgh Airport. Do I trust the designer? Will I put my weight, if you like, onto the design? So too with us. Do we trust that what Christ has done for us really works in practice? Will I change how I live in light of what he's done? This is where the, the rubber hits the road, if you like. Uh, for us as Christians. And so this morning, I want to bring out just two quick things from 
this remarkable chapter. There's so much we could look at, but we have not got time this morning. But two things that we should do in light of what Christ has done, in light of his calling. Two points. First, Christ's call brings unity. And secondly, Christ's call brings diversity. Unity and diversity. So first of all, Christ's call brings unity. Uh, Glance down with me at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In other words, Christ's call brings unity. There is one body. That's us here this morning. Because there is one God, one spirit behind our calling. There, there, isn't, there, there can't be a, um, a different bodies, two or three or four bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. Which means that when Christ calls his people together, his call does bring unity. Which means if you just quickly glance, just subtly, to the person next to you, not too obviously, uh, we are one with each other this morning. We are one body because Christ has called us. And so whether we feel like it this morning or not, we are united because we share one God, one Lord, one Spirit. Christ's call brings unity. And yet... And yet, while this is true, that we could not be more united together, Paul also says we must work hard to be united. Look down at verse 3. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, yes, we are united. We, we, We couldn't be more united. And yet... As God's people, we have to work hard to keep the peace and to be united. The best illustration I can think of for this is is how a family works. Each one of us has been born into a family. We we can't choose the family. We haven't decided it, but we we have had a family. And for each one of us, we're a different family, a different dynamic, but we've been given a family. And whether we like it or not, we are members of that family that's just a fact. We are part of the family. And yet families can behave as if they weren't families. So they can go for weeks, months, years without calling each other. Uh, They can live on different parts of the country and not interact. They can not support each other or care for each other when a crisis comes. They can fall out and argue. That doesn't change the fact that they are family. Uh, If you have a sibling or or, um, a, a son or a daughter, that doesn't change. You have them for life, and yet you can choose to behave as if uh, you are family or not. And I think in a similar way, it's true for God's people. Christ's call brings unity. That's just a fact. We are united, one people. But we can choose to behave as if we are united, or we can behave as if we're not. That's the first challenge for us. Christ's call brings unity. Therefore, we must work hard to keep unity. Secondly, Christ's call brings diversity. 
A few months ago, I spoke to someone who had just become a Christian, and uh, he was telling me about his journey to faith. And he was very honest about the fact that as he was thinking about whether he wanted to become a Christian, one of the things that really got to him that he was worried about was whether he would have to become a Christian clone if he became a Christian. You see, he had a sense of humor, he had a personality, he liked sports, and um, he was afraid that if he became a Christian, he'd have to lose his sense of humor and his personality, and he'd have to stop doing sport, and he'd have to become a clone and just sit on a pew, and, and, and that would be him for the rest of his life. But that is not the case when we become Christians at all, is it? Because, yes, we are united, but Christ's call brings diversity uh, look down at verse 7. Uh, Paul says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Or again at, in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, when Christ calls us, he calls a diverse bunch of people together. He gives each one of us different gifts and abilities and opportunities. And he wants us to remain diverse, to use our different flavors and backgrounds and insights. Because we're told in verse, end of verse 12 that that's how the body of Christ is built up. When each person brings to the body their own particular diversity, their own particular gift and ability, that's when the one body is built up the best. Christ's call brings diversity. And I guess the challenge for us this morning is this. Um, are we using our gifts? Are we bringing to bear what God has given us to bless and build up his people? Because I think there's a hint here which, which says that if, if we're not, if we're holding back with our time and gifts and abilities, then in some way God's people will suffer it's only when we all chip in and bring our God-given gift to bear, that's when God's people are built up. In a church like St. Andrew's, which is a large church, we have uh, three or four different services here on a Sunday, it is easy to feel at times um, disconnected uh, from the, the core ministry or to feel like a passenger on a train just being carried along. But I think Paul is calling each one of us to be not passengers, but partners in the body, partners in the work, thinking, how can I get involved to use my gifts and abilities? And in a church this size, there are 101 ways to get involved in different ways, different levels. Christ's call brings unity. It also brings diversity. Just as I close, I want to finish with a, with a challenge for each one of us, a challenge to myself as well. Uh, you might be thinking, I like unity. I'm a big fan of unity. In fact, I've been coming to St. Andrews for 15 years, and I, and I haven't fallen out with anyone yet at St. Andrews. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a person who's really for unity. Um, and that's great, and, and I'm thrilled, and brilliant. Praise God that you've had that experience of, of being united with God's people. But here's a challenge. Over Christmas, that's when families tend to fall out the most, or over holidays, because that's when all the siblings come back from the different parts of the country. That's when they're all in one house for a week. 
or it's when the family are, are kind of forced together. That's when you really test unity. That's when the cracks can appear. And my challenge for us as God's family is this. Are we bringing our gift to bear? Are we serving? Are we getting involved? Is it costing us? And in that context, are we staying unified? It's only when we really roll up our sleeves and get involved, when we work in close quarters with other Christians, that's when the real test comes for unity. You see, that the unity that Paul has in mind is not a distant and disengaged unity. It's not a unity that comes from turning up just on a Sunday and saying hello and having a cup of tea and heading home again. That unity is possible for most people. No, it's when we start to really serve and we start to care and, and we commit our lives to a certain area of ministry. That's when unity becomes a real test, just as for a family over Christmas. And it's that kind of unity I think Paul is calling to us, each one of us too, a committed serving unity where we are really involved and yet we are making every effort to keep the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the great work of Christ who has called each one of us from death to life. We thank you that we are united as his people. Thank you for this new family we have. Help us to be unified. Help us to be diverse. Help us to use our gifts to build up your people so that your son receives the glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.